What is up? This is TJ Murphy, and welcome to another episode of Adventurous Entrepreneurs. My guest today is Jared Souza. Jared is an accomplished chief financial officer with over a decade of experience working for direct-to-consumer brands in the e-commerce space. He is renowned for his expertise in finance, data, and marketing analytics, which has helped companies achieve remarkable growth. Having served as the CFO at the Michael Hyatt and Company, Jared was inspired to start his own firm, The Scale Method, to provide virtual CFO services to e-commerce brands. His firm specializes in helping companies with top-line revenue between 3 and 20 million to scale by providing them with strategic advice and guidance on how to grow their business. Just a few of the golden takeaways Jared shares in this episode are how to set your business up to survive and thrive during a recession. One asset which, when used correctly, can become the goose that lays the golden egg in your business, and how to avoid the most common mistakes when it comes to financial reporting. So without further ado, this is Jared Souza and me. Welcome to the Adventurous Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Murphy. Since quitting my corporate nine to five and starting a business while backpacking through Asia back in early 2017, I've had the privilege of learning from some incredibly adventurous entrepreneurs. Through these conversations and my own journey, I've learned that much like in life, entrepreneurship is an adventure. On this podcast, I explore the journeys of top performing leaders in their fields. These wide ranging conversations include tactical business advice, how I built this insights, lessons in leadership, life hacks, travel stories, favorite hobbies, and insights into living a purposeful and joy-filled life. Adventures await us, so let's dive in. Hey, hey, Jared. Welcome to Adventurous Entrepreneurs. Hey, thank you for having me. Pretty pumped to be here and have a conversation with you, man. Likewise, likewise, my friend. It's great to have you on. I've been looking forward to it. And I'd like to start with a bit of background on the journey. So you've been in the finance world primarily and mostly as a CFO for the last decade or so before now founding your own companies. But as I was doing a little research for this conversation, I came across a business you started way back, I believe in 2004 called Hometown Values Magazine. So this may may be a total dead end, but I'm guessing that there may have been some lessons learned from that early venture. So do you mind sharing a little bit of backstory on what that experience was like and any lessons that made an impact on your journey? Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm going to start like a few years before that. So um, when I was in college, I got an internship with the California Department of Transportation. So a state run agency. And my parents were really stoked that I got this internship. And once I graduated college, they brought me on full time. So, uh, right. Retirement's good. Benefits are good. You're working for the state. Um, no real upside. So in order to progress, like you literally had to pass a written test. So didn't matter how well you performed on the job necessarily. Like if you didn't pass this test, like you would never get a promotion. You just gotta be book smart. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Good. And so, um, so there was really no drive or motivation for people to work harder or more efficient. Right. And so, um, and I'm going to forgive me for people that work for state departments, but from my perspective, it was like where people just kind of went to die. Like there was no, no, like rallying, like let's save the state money. Right. These resources just kept, kept coming. There was no focus on efficiencies, right. On profitability. Um, and so, but my parents were really stoked for me. And, uh, and so I, 
I just kind of had the pull to do something else. And so I launched this direct mail magazine where really there was no information in the magazine. It was just like ads and coupons and different things. I would get direct mail to like 15,000 people in segments of the city. And yeah, so I ended up leaving that, that job at the state. My parents thought I was crazy to, to launch this. So I'm doing my own thing. (laughs) Yeah. But there was lessons obviously involved in that. Like the question you asked me, which was, I was doing everything, um, you know, collecting payments, selling, um, in charge of the graphic designer. And it, I mean, my wife and I were literally married and I'd be up till midnight trying to meet deadlines and kind of got burnt out. And so that was kind of the first lesson that you can't sprint for 10 miles. Well, maybe some people can, I can't. So like you have to take times of rest and recover and recoup and just get your mind right. And, and your body too, like you have to physically rest. And so that was a a big eye opener. And I was young back then too, but um, I was just running hard to try and make that thing, give it a a good run. Yeah, for sure. You can do it for a little while. You can, you can grind hard for, you know, a couple seasons, but it's a, it's a recipe for burnout unless you're just like an Elon Musk type and your heart's in it and you can work 80 hour weeks, no problem. But right. for, for most of us mortals, that's just not a recipe for success. So that's right. That's exactly right. So from there you, you shifted gears completely and started down a path in, in finance, which I'm not sure. Did you go to school for, for finance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I got my just business administrative degree. And then I went um, back and got my MBA in finance. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So what were some highlights and, and maybe some low points along the way, which ultimately led you to what you're doing now, which I'm excited to dive into here in a bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I worked for big corporations like uh, for JP Morgan Chase Bank and realized that big corporate wasn't a good fit for me. Um, I really liked the small business, the entrepreneur, um, the people that were, that were grinding. Um, and maybe it's because i I lived in that world, right, with my magazine, but um, um, I really had a love for marketing as well. And so when e-commerce came, um, I studied marketing. And so those two within the e-commerce world are so closely tied between financials and your marketing KPIs, and especially today with all the data that we get out of the social platforms. Um, But man, I just, I studied marketing like in my, like, any downtime. So there's like, I was a member of ad skills, which is Justin books Brooks program. Um, and so I always say like, if I hadn't got into finance earlier, I probably would have been in marketing, but, uh, my knowledge of that and my thirst for that knowledge has helped me along the way to, to be where I'm at today. So. Yeah, for sure. So let's, let's bring things forward then to what you are focused on today. Tell us a little bit about what you're focused on here. I guess April now of 2023. Yeah. Um, so I'm in Nashville. Uh, what got me out here was I became the CFO at Michael Hyatt company. So we moved here from the DC area, long story. I'm originally from California. We ended up in DC for a little bit. Um, and about two years after I'd become the CFO of CFO of the company, I really had this desire to start my own firm and to help e-com- like get back to e-commerce and help those entrepreneurs and so I went to my wife and said, hey, I think I'm going to resign from my position and start my own company. And she was like, are you crazy? Like, we moved out here for this for this job. And, I moved um, out here for this job. <laughs> yeah, we, we uprooted our family to come here, yeah. which was a fantastic move, by the way. We love the Nashville area. Nice, nice. Um, 
but man, I, yeah, I just had this, this calling to do it. And I had a few people reach out that if I ever, you know, provided like fractional, basically financial CFO, financial data analytics services that they'd be interested. And so, you know, once I resigned, I was like, okay, here I am. Like, hopefully you were <laughs> really yeah, serious about being, me helping. Being honest with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, and so it worked out. Um, and yeah, so we've been, I, my forum's been going strong now for almost two and a half years. Um, actually two years coming on two and a half, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been fun. You know, when you, when you have your own business and, and you would know this at, at the start, you're just taking on whatever client that you can, the whole yeah. folks is just getting revenue through the door and you serve them all well, but you start to really figure out who you truly love to serve. And so we're, we're kind of at that point now, it's not just truly who we love to serve, but how we can serve them extremely well. And so now we're really focused on like on our own customer acquisition so that we can help as many e-commerce brands. Um, and we're starting to get into the agency space as well. So we've created a dashboard for ad agencies, um, just a lot more labor focused instead of like inventory cost of goods focused. Um, but at the end of the day, numbers are numbers. And so we, we do that. We do both sides really well. Yeah, for sure. So when you say that, that shift in the service that you're offering, of course, in the beginning, you got to say yes to everybody and you try to just yeah. build your service around what they say they need, even if maybe you know better on what they actually right. need. How, how has that shifted in terms of your approach to choosing the clients that you want to work with? Are you more selective about who is the right fit and, and how do you figure that out? Yeah. So I'm, I'm much more, um, yeah, focused on the questions that I ask and intuitive to their mm -hmm. answers along with, um, once we kind of look under the hood, how things have truly been operating, um, how they've been categorizing certain things and, and just the overall personality mix, right. That you can get on a call. Cause at the end of the day, it's business and I want to have fun with what I do. And so <laughs> if it's not a good fit on the professional and on the kind of like social aspect side, like, I don't know, there, I just, we don't have time <laughs> to mess with it. So no, for sure. Yeah. All um, right. So if you're, if you're game for it or did you have more to say? Sorry. Well, just so when, there. when we're, um, you know, on sales calls is I'm interviewing them as much as they're interviewing me. And I make that, sure. I make that very clear up front that it has to be a good fit on both sides. Cause I don't want them to feel like they've been, you know, kind of bamboozled or whatever. Yeah. And, and they want the same thing, right? They don't want to be working with somebody that's a jerk. And so, um, yeah, it just makes sense that we're interviewing on both sides and that's kind of how I go into kind of every interaction. Yeah. I think it's important. Yeah. Gotta, we gotta play nice together for this to yeah. work at the end of the day. So like even this, I'm make like, sure if I'm going to like cool, TJ's a cool guy. Let's get on, let's do a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate it, man. It's felt the same. That's why I was yeah, excited man. to have you on. So if you're game for it, I'd love to dive into some tactical stuff for business owners around, you know, your product offering and, and what you do. So you know, really that's arming them with real data where they can, you know, have a clean dashboard and somebody to help guide them along to make informed decisions about strategic marketing, strategic business development. And I'm sure you see a lot of mistakes or things that people just aren't paying enough attention to. So what are some of those common themes or, or mistakes that you see business owners making when it comes to either managing their finances or just how they're, you know, handling their reporting and, and how can they be avoided? Yeah. Um, 
And that's such a loaded question. So that's uh, so I would say the number one is the cadence when they review their numbers, right? At a minimum, you have to do it on a monthly basis. Um, and so a lot of people don't want to do that because they get this just long list of these GL accounts on their profit and loss statement. Um, and so not really understanding what it means and being able to decipher it, but that needs to be done. Um, so I would say number one is getting into a cadence of review, like just get it on your calendar. Number two, which is just vi as vitally important, you want to have a strong financial foundation. Otherwise, you're kind of building your house on sand and not a rock. Meaning in the e-commerce space, you need to make sure, I'm going to preface with this. I'm a finance guy, but I do not like accounting. That's why I have a CPA on my team that does all the accounting. It's too black and white for me. So these terms, I was going to say, like, you need to make sure it's accrual-based accounting, meaning that, you know, your cost of goods are lining up with your sales. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you're not going to know your true profitability. So that's two. I mean, that's one of the main things that I see with, with clients that we're onboarding is they're actually not looking at proper financial data. And so anything else that you look like look at that's tied to that is going to be off. Um and then number three are the non-financial KPIs that you need to look for, which, you know, typically ad agencies are providing you like the customer acquisition cost, the customer lifetime value, but how does that actually interact with your financial statement? And so, mm -hmm. you know, kind of our dashboard illuminates that and allows people to see that. So, yeah. And do you find, so for people that aren't the accounting, the finance types, and they have an e-com brand or, or any type of business for that matter, do you feel like it's important for them to just do the work and get a basic understanding so that they can understand these reports and make informed decisions or delegate to a CPA or somebody that can be that guiding force and communicate it back to you. Yeah. So definitely if you're the owner of your business, you have a responsibility to yeah. understand these numbers, right? At least from a high level, like you need to understand your gross margin. You need to understand what net income you need to, right. You need to understand some of these and like what goes on the balance sheet. Like you don't need to know it in detail, but you need to be able to decipher what these numbers are. Um, Cause at the end of the day, you're the one fully responsible. You have total ownership. And if you're delegating that to somebody else and they make a mistake, then is it really their fault or your fault? I, right? It all comes back to you. <laughs> That's right. <Yeah>. So, <laughs> um, and it's not hard to. And so a lot of that too, is what we do is we educate, like, these are the numbers we look at. These are, this is why this is what this means. Um, in a non-threatening way, you know, I always tell people like, once you show me your financials, it's almost like you're getting undressed in front of me because I see everything. <laughs> like, like there's nothing that's it reveals all that's right. The good, the bad, the ugly, the that's things right. you don't even know are there. I'll show that's you right. <laughs> all your personal expenditures. They're all right here. Um, yeah. and so, yeah. Um, I mean, that's just kind of how I live with my own life too. And how I advise people is it's total ownership, right? And so, um, especially something as important as this, and, and this is really important is the financial health is the driver of your company that some people are putting their entire livelihood behind. Like you need to understand <laughs> at least a high level, right? If you're profitable and what that means and where your cash is going. And so, I mean, your, your service for e-com brands is a great gateway to folks that may not have those elementary skills. You can, you know, help arm them with that literacy to be able to understand reports, but outside of that for, you know, any business owner that might not be the fit for your offering, do you have any tips for how people can better understand their financial reports and use them to make 
better and more informed decisions? Mm. Yeah. So one of the the biggest thing in um, uh, in e-commerce brands is your gross profit, right? So yeah. it's your revenue minus the cost of goods. So they have to line up on a monthly basis. So for example, if you're listening to this, go back, pull your PL right now, like six months on a month by month and, um, and look at how much your gross profit fluctuates. So like if one month your gross profit is zero, then the next month it's like a hundred thousand. And then the next month it's 20, like it shouldn't have that much fluctuation. That means that you, yeah, that your, your accounting methodology is wrong and you should fire whoever's doing your books. And I don't care if you hire us, but just find somebody that will do it accurately because you're never going to be able to gauge the health of your business or scale your business or grow your business again, based on flawed foundations. Yeah. That just sounds like you're riding a wave of uncertainty. Yeah. So one month you're going to be extremely profitable and you're going to be like, yes, hire all these people. The next month you're going to be, you're going to just be giving it all back. Right. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So. So I know I get asked all the time as a marketing agency owner, like what, what KPIs are important? What should we be tracking? And it's different for every business. Of course, you work primarily with e-com brands. I'm curious what your expert opinion is in terms of what are the most crucial KPIs that businesses should track to ensure financial success? Yeah. So, um, so this, this is good because some of the metrics that we track actually hold ad agencies accountable, which is go. like the yeah. CAC and customer lifetime value. So yep. on the non-financial side, we want to know the customer acquisition cost. We want to know the customer lifetime value. And typically I don't go more than 12 months. That's like where I stop and then anything else after that. Right. So I, I base that off of a 12 month run rate. And then, um, the value of the email list, meaning number of subscribers, value per subscriber. So kind of think of like a triangle. And then on the financial side, we want to make sure we're measuring revenue, gross profit, contribution profit, and then your net income. And why I do those is your gross profit is going to give you your revenue minus your cost of goods, right? So that's always going to be gone. So think about um, if your product costs $10, and you sell it for a hundred, every time you sell a hundred dollars, you're not getting, you're getting 90. You're always going to be right. Paying for that product in e-commerce. You're always going to be paying for shipping. You're always going to be paying for merchant fees. So if we take those two out, um, plus advertising, we have our contribution profit and why that's so important because that will establish our customer acquisition cost, right? So then we establish a customer acquisition cost and then we can give a conservative number on what it would cost to acquire a customer. And then as long as we're not spending more than what the CLV is, again, if you're spending more than what your CLV is, then uh, you're screwed. (laughs) You're never going to be profitable, right? Yeah, you're going to run it into the ground. (laughs) That's right. Um, and, And so once we establish those healthy numbers, then those people go to your email list. And then that's where we can raise the customer lifetime value, which means we can spend more to acquire a customer. And it becomes this circular loop and like a snowball rolling downhill, right? The problem that people miss when they're looking at this like triangular diagram is the foundation of that are their financial statements, right? And really understanding, okay, my contribution margin, it might be it might be, you know, 50%. So instead of it being, you know, your gross margins, 80%, where well, you're still paying shipping, you're still going to pay to acquire that customer and merchant fees. So it's actually like $50 out of every hundred that you make is automatically going out the window. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So 
on your financial statement, it's revenue, gross margin, contribution margin, net income. And then the other core KPIs that I like to measure is the, the CAC and the customer lifetime value and value of the email list. And is there anything that you see people miss when it comes to actually looking at those numbers? Like, you know, say they're literate, they, they actually do know what these numbers are, but they're kind of thinking about it in the wrong way, if that's, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, um, usually if people know what those numbers are, they're not really thinking about it in the wrong way. A lot yeah. of times, um, you know, people will just take what ad agencies say, this is what we're acquiring customers for. Mm -hmm. And they don't know if, is that good? Is that bad? Right? Like, like that threshold should come from the business owner, not from you, because you're not understanding what their total costs are. Do you know what I yeah. mean? So um, how I'd like to advise people, it's like, if you were running ads for somebody and it's like, Hey, TJ, we can, we can spend $50 to acquire a customer. If you spend a hundred dollars, great. If you spend a million dollars, great. The company's going to be healthy. If you can continuously hit that $50 CAC mark. Right. And so instead of saying you've got ten thousand dollars to spend this month, I never put a budget limit like that. It's like if you're hitting this CAC, man, just keep running. Yeah. As long as it's profitable. Again, yeah. Then you're looking at supply chain. Do we have an inventory to support that? So then you, yeah. you, know, you start digging deeper. But <laughs> I want to sell something high, you don't have. <laughs> that's right. From a high level, um, that's how I like to give um, ad agencies the freedom and run really yeah. to, to scale. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the email list and. Yeah. I think everybody should understand that email is not dead. Email, especially in e-com, is like your most valuable asset. It is something that you tangibly own and control and can, as you said, create more lifetime value from. Yep. And you're, you don't really handle the marketing side and like growing a list per se, but do you have anything that you advise your clients on when it comes to email marketing specifically and, and really treating that as the valuable asset that it is? Yeah, it's the it's the goose that lays the golden egg. Yes. <laughs> it's the most valuable <laughs> asset in the company that is nowhere to be found on the balance sheet, right? So, yes. um, but when you go to sell, you'll get a, mul a bigger multiple if you have a healthier email list. So again, I'll throw that out there. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, unless you actually purchase like an email list or email database, like just acquiring those customers through ad spend, yeah, um, it's not going to show in terms of an asset on your balance sheet, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so one of the benchmarks is, you know, we want um, the amount of revenue, at least 30% coming from email. The healthiest companies and the companies with the best brand um, that we work for, it tends to be like about 50% of the revenue comes from email. So yeah. Just think about that difference that those, you know, that 20 point difference is th that's much more profitable revenue because you've already paid to acquire these customers. So you think about like, you've already paid for them. Don't ignore them. Like this is your asset. These are your babies that can continuously come back and purchase from you. Um, so when you flip it, the way that you think about your email list is like, you've already paid for it, right? <laughs> like, yeah. like take care of them. Um make sure that you're, you're not like, you know, you're watching unsubscribe rates, you're watching all of that because then that means that you're not providing value to them. Right. So it's not just mm -hmm. a one-way transaction. Yeah. Treat that like a baby. You've got to yeah. nurture it. You've got For to sure. take care of its health. For sure. Pay attention to the signals it's sending back to you and continue to grow it. 
Yep. And then feeding the beast at the end of the day. Yeah. Because at, yeah, at the end of the day, if you're just, if you're acquiring more customers, but you're churning the same amount, then you're just kicking the can down the road, right? You're not growing. Um, and a lot of times too, is we tend to forget that there's just humans on the other side of yeah. that email that you're sending out. And so just treat them as such and write to them in a way that, that they would want to actually read your email and find value in it. Mm-hmm. Again, that's getting outside of my realm of copywriting, no, copywriting and all that, but <laughs> it, it's it's still important for people to think about, and it, it applies sure. it applies outside of ecom as well. Maybe, yeah, certainly less so, but still a valuable asset to to pay attention to. Yeah, for but sure. You have a you have a tool that you sell. It's part of your service, but are there any tools you recommend? And you can certainly plug your own in there as well for businesses to stay on top of their crucial financial aspects of their business and and ultimately allows them to really concentrate on growing it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if there's actually anything else out there that does what we do. (laughs) Just by myself. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, in terms of, I'm trying to think of there's attribution software, right? Which is what you guys would use like a, a North beam or triple well or Hyros or, you know, all of these other things, but, but they're literally more for the ad agency, more for you to make decisions, right. On which campaigns and, um, and, which platforms are generating the best return. Um, yeah. So tell us about, tell us about your stuff. Yeah. 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 So, so basically what we do is we, we get in um, um, one, one thing I will say is, so I own two websites, cfoexpertise.com and the scale And the reason why is I first started off with CS, CFO expertise. And what I quickly realized is that people one either think they know what a CFO does or two, don't think they can afford one. And um, I think you can judge by this conversation. Like I'm not a typical CFO when it comes to e-commerce in terms of the data and analytics that we look at. So I bought the domain, the scale method, which I thought would be um, a lot more, um, I guess, inquiring for people like, oh, what is that? Because we do have a certain methodology on how we help companies scale. Um, But with that is we really make sure that the financial data is accurate the way that we're calculating that because again that's the foundation that everything else stems from um so on our dashboard we've got the financial health of the company we've got um, basically kpis from the balance sheet nobody ever looks at the balance sheet hardly ever and that's the actual health of your company (laughs) like when you look at the balance sheet it's your assets and liabilities right so um, we make sure we bring that in. We bring in some charts on cash flow. So, like all three of these things, you can look at in one snapshot instead of going to each of these financial statements. Yeah. Um, and then we roll in non-financial KPI. So we tap into Shopify and we tap into Clavio, which is typically where people are um, in terms of we establish, you know, customer acquisition cost. We calculate that. We pull in conversion rates. We pull in customer lifetime value. We pull in the customer lifetime value based on contribution margin. Uh, we pull in the value of the email list and what's that's contributing um, to the revenue. And so as you're looking at this dashboard, you can quickly see like, oh, this month we are down here. And then you can diagnose the problem and go back to the drawing board to fix it quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, man, there's no more excuses once this is, this is in front of you. No, no excuses. You've, <laughs> yeah. you've been armed with data. That's right. Now, now go and, use it. And and that's my, or go ahead. Oh, that's what, when you said the word data, it's like most entrepreneurs have great gut instincts, right? Like I was actually on a call with um, a company that is, it was kind of a sales call this morning. um, And I never say any names, obviously, because I've dealt with financial data, but they're doing about 400,000 a month. And they have like no clue their data. 
at all. Like no clue. So you're, you're, there's a, well, we have five books set up and five, yeah, but, but there's a $5 million company right a year. Yeah. And so that entrepreneur has great gut instincts to be able to get there and achieve that yeah. with no data to back it up, right? So entrepreneur, like most of the entrepreneurs that I deal with are, have g- great gut instincts. And then once we overlay that with data-backed decisions, it's like game over. They become superheroes, like, yeah. because it's like, oh, this is, yeah, I was feeling this way, but now the data is saying that, yeah, let's run. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so. Yeah, Talk about confidence when you can actually back it up with sound data and not just say, yeah, my gut's saying this way. So let's, let's just go. With right. It. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. In fact, one of my clients, um, they, they've been on board for gosh, year and a half. Um, they were dealing with another firm and, and once we kind of came on board, um, basically the first thing that we said <laughs> was you should be spending more to acquire customers. Like they had an excellent customer lifetime value, strong brand. And, uh, and one of the things that he said to me was, man, I knew that we are winning, but every call that we always had, they just kept telling us to cut expenditures. And it's like, no, man, when you look at all of this other non-financial data that's coming through, like your customer lifetime values through the roof, like you need to be spending more. And so then they just started taking off and scaling and, um, you know, 50% year, year over year growth. So Damn. it's been amazing. Yeah. yeah. Gives you that confidence to, to pour gasoline on the marketing. Yeah, that's right. So kind of shift here to put your CFO hat on because who knows what the next year will look like. I I'm an optimist. I always, you know, believe in planning for worst case scenarios, but pretty positive outlook overall. But even so I'm curious what your advice is for, you know, how any business can maintain financial health during economic downturns on certain times or say unexpected events like COVID. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, one is just having a healthy, you know, cash run run rate built into, you know, basically your savings. So um, look at your OPEX in terms of what, what does it take and have three to six months just to keep the lights on. So payroll, utilities, right? Make sure that you have that kind of a safety fund. Um, number two, and right now it's probably too late for this, but when times are good, make sure you establish a line of credit right? Because now it's a lot harder to get and lines of credit, they'll just sit there um, until you need them. And so a lot of people don't take that advice, but um, I was on a call with a rep from um, Wayfair that does like um, loans for e-commerce brands. And obviously they're tied into the bigger banks, like the JP Morgans, and they know those people and it's, they're all tightening up. Like it, you know, credit is hard to get, especially with the debacle that's happening. And so people that are needing lines of credit now, it's, it's too late. Right. So always do that when you don't need it, like just establish it. doesn't cost you anything. A little, right. little bit of yeah. work. Right. Gives a you a lifeline if you need it. That's exactly right. Um, so those are the two main things. And then um, the other thing is just have a forecast in place. A lot of people will say like a budget, but have a four, I, I like to call it a forecast because I hate the word budget, but because um, you want to be looking at your sales too and not just your expenditures, right? But make sure you're hitting the targets and have triggers in place. Like if you want to do hiring, so a lot of people might have one great month, hire all these people and the tra- trajectory's not there, right? Yeah, it was a fluke. So um, yeah, so make sure that, and again, once a quarter, go through like your credit card statements, make sure there's no reoccurring services that you're not using anymore. It's just kind of like all those little things, like eventually they help, but 
um, that might save you a couple hundred bucks here and there. But the biggest thing is just having the cash reserves in place, establish line of credit um, and making sure you're just operating lean. Yeah. And like you said, like going through the books and actually identifying, okay, worst case scenario, these are the things that I can cut. We can trim the fat here and, and get as lean as possible while keeping our employees, keeping the things that are most critical to the business so that we can weather for, you know, six, 12, 18 months, yep. whatever, whatever you're yeah, actually exactly. feasibly able to achieve. All right. Yeah. And a lot of times if you've got a forecast in place, you can run the what if scenarios, <clears throat> right. And, um, yeah. you know, if sales drop by like 20%, what does that mean for us? Um, and then if you start seeing them trend that way, then I would say make those decisions quicker than you think you should. Cause yeah. you can't make up that time. Right. Like if you, if you keep Bill on board for three months, like you can't get that that money yeah. back identify your your triggers right and what the exactly. plan will be yep good advice good advice so jared this is a podcast about entrepreneurship but one of the biggest hurdles that we all face at one time or another is living a well-rounded life and doing mm -hmm. the things that we love to do with the people that we care about most yeah. and i'm curious what does that look like for you you're you know so the founder of of two companies you probably got a busy schedule. How how do you balance it? What's yeah, so <laughs> yeah, so I'm married with four children, and, and that's another full time job on top. of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife's a rock star though. So, awesome. um, yeah, um, man, I and I love hanging out with with people too, and having great friendships in place. So, um, it's it's uh it's carving out the time for that my problem too, which is most people's, I enjoy what I do and I like doing it. So I have to set those boundaries that at this point, like I'm done, I'm present with my family. Um, and again, we're all work in progress, but, uh, yeah. but I do try and not cross those boundaries. So another big one is just these phones in our pockets all the time. Right. So even at night, I've, I've actually moved my phone into my closet. So it's just like, it's out Put of it sight, away. out of mind. Yeah. Like at 11 o'clock at night, just scrolling your phone, like there's nothing else you're going to learn at that point. That's going to, to change Actually the trajectory stick. of your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably yeah. just going right in and out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, man, at the end of the day, it's, um, for me, the, the, le the, I guess, order of priority is, uh, my wife and making sure I carve out time for them. Cause if we don't have a healthy marriage, then our kids see that and right. And, the whole goal is not to screw them up. And so, and then my children, and then outside of that is like friendships. Um, and so I, yeah, so that's how I, I kind of carve out time, which is with my wife and then children and, um, you know, between soccer and basketball practices and doing all of those things, it's hard to balance, but you just have to very, be um, just very dedicated to it and, and set that priority. Yeah. and not deviate yeah and setting those rules you know yeah like i've i've become better at leaving this right here in the yeah. office when i'm done for the day you know five o'clock that's my hard stop gonna go spend time with ali yeah leave, leave the phone behind yeah. and just go be present it's hard man i have a son that's 14 and he yeah. has a it's called a gab phone so it's kind of like a dumb phone oh, yeah. like he i haven't heard of this he can call okay. and text but there's not like apps or different yeah, things yeah. On, right on social and he really wants an iphone I'm like, son, like 
it's even hard for me to manage. Like I can't imagine at 14. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's just no way. Oh my God, there's no man. way. And you know, and not judging anybody that has children, right? But like for us, like that's just how we've established um kind of the protocol with him and the boundaries that we've set with him. And he's fine, right? It's like Dude. he doesn't feel left out. But there's yeah. so much more out here in the real world than yeah. in these devices. I had my first phone, brick phone. So couldn't do anything but text my friends and, and call yeah, my yeah. parents. Yeah. But man, I couldn't, I can't imagine growing up with that much information and just yeah. mindless social media scrolling. Like yeah. I, I enjoyed so much fun stuff outside with my friends being present. Yeah. So I think I think that's a good rule for for any yeah. parent. Again, not to knock anybody if they're <laughs> doing right. it differently. Right. But I as I listen to more and more parents in my life, Allie and I don't have kids yet, but we're taking notes. Like that's something I definitely want to limit exposure to. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tool and and we, our kids are going to need to be fluent in how to use technology, but there's certainly a balance there. Yeah. I mean, my wife and I talk about this all the time. And when we look, you know, five, 10 years out, or would we ever look back and go, I wish we would have got Jet an iPhone. Like I feel like he really missed out. You know what I mean? Or it's always going to be the the opposite of that. Like I wish we wouldn't have gave it to him so early. So we're just trying to, you know, hold our ground and, and stick to yeah. it. So yeah, good for you. Yeah. Man. And I guess you know, going back to your question too about business and and family, it's it's you know we can get in this loop of trying to grow our business and it kind of takes over. Um, I think most people can, but at the end of the day, what's always my reminder is like, okay, if I win at this game, but lose my family, like it wasn't worth it. It'll never be worth it to me. That's game over. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what keeps me grounded um, with them. Mm -hmm. 100%. Awesome, man. Well, as we transition here, I have a choose your own adventure question for you. So you can pick which one you'd like to answer or, or both if you so desire or combine the two, but Question one would be, what's your favorite place that you visited in the past five to 10 years? Or what is a recent adventure that you went on with your family? And in either case, what was it like? What made it so memorable? Favorite meal or or drink or a lesson that you learned along the way? Give us, give us a story. Yeah. So I've got two because one, so the most memorable place that we've been is to Israel. Awesome. And, um, man, what was so intriguing about that was just learning about the areas where like Jesus walked and it really brought the Bible to life for me. Like you're standing on one side of the Valley and the upper rooms on the other side of the Valley and where he would have went into Jerusalem. And man, it was just, it was amazing. Um, so that's fantastic. And the culture and the food was amazing over there. Um, but the most recent one was my wife and I went to Breckenridge and we hiked Quandary Peak which is a 14er, 14,000 feet. Um, we did not know what we were getting ourselves into, <laughs> like at all. We was that a spur of the moment thing or did you, no, you plan no, for that? Okay. <laughs> no, we had planned for it, but okay. um, we didn't allow ourselves enough time to like acclimate, right? Yeah. We were only there for about four days. Uh, I mean, it was it was fun, but man, you're hiking up that thing and you think you're going to get to the peak and then you turn a corner and you're like, oh my gosh, we have so far to go. Um, If we would have known how hard it would have been, we probably wouldn't have done it. Like, I mean, it was, you know, with how high you are, you hike 10 yards and then you have to take a break and then 10, like you're just out of breath. But man, it was, it was amazing once you get to the top and just like, man, we accomplished this. It was awesome. And it was cool that we did it together. So 
yeah, that was the. All right, now let's go down. <laughs> yeah, and then going down is almost worse. You oh think that God. it's going to be quick? It took no. forever. Yeah. Did you have issues with acclimatizing or just just um, going breathing wise? No altitude sickness concerns. No, no altitude sickness. Just yeah. the worst part was at night sleeping. Like you just feel like you couldn't breathe, and so I'd wake up like feel like I was suffocating, um, which was just a weird, eerie feeling. Yeah. I had the same experience. Ali and I and my little sister did the Annapurna circuit in Nepal. And oh wow. The highest peak was over 18,000 feet. Oh. This was over, this was over like 16 days or so. Like you're staying in tea houses along the way and you know, climbing many peaks to get to the tallest one, Annapurna. But yeah, I remember the last night before we went up and over, we were at like 16 or 15,000 feet or something at the base camp. I didn't sleep at all for what you just described. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't breathe. I, I just was like wired and had a splitting headache the whole time. It was yeah. not fun. <laughs> no. I don't know. They, they had mentioned about how you get rid of the headache, but I don't remember what it was. Um, yeah. we, we didn't really experience that, but they just, hyd- I, you just have to hydrate a lot. Yeah. Hydrate a lot. And you know, if you're, if you're experiencing those symptoms, it can be very dangerous once you go too high so the right. only cure once you get to that point is to go back down and then you oh, wow. typically experience like immediate relief once you get below a certain altitude and your body acclimatizes again but yeah, yeah super gnarly we saw some people have to get airlifted off the top because they had severe altitude sickness. wow so it's it's no joke <laughs> you're like man i've made it this far i'm not going back now not going back no yeah we were like we're we got all the time in the world we're gonna just take it slow and- yeah yeah, staying. We could have like gone up and over the day before, but we decided to to spend the night to really give our bodies time to adjust. Which so outside of that, what was what was the best moment of that hike for you? Because that oh, sounds man. amazing. Yeah, I mean, just getting to do it with my little sister. That was her first mm-hmm. time outside of the U.S. and flying oh, into wow. to Kathmandu, Nepal is quite an experience for your first time outside the u.s let me say so we met her at the airport and like got in a taxi and it's just crazy driving around the city and we spent a couple days like getting all of our gear because my wife and i had been traveling for like a year at that point Mm -hmm. just living out of backpacks so we didn't have any gear for this trip we like went and went to all the little shops and got all the knockoff like patagonia gear and all all the stuff we needed and then took a bus up into the mountains and before we did the trek was holly festival if you're familiar with that with all the like colorful powders in india and oh yeah 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 nepal big big holiday big celebration so we did that the day before we went on the trek and it was just the most fun experience in the world that's cool yeah you're just partying in the streets like painting everything painting each other and uh, it was super cool and then showered off got a good night's sleep and, and hit the trail the next day and yeah i mean lots, That's a way lots to of be highs sent and lows off, man. yeah it was a great way to get sent off for sure yeah. And yeah i think i learned some lessons in patience that was my biggest takeaway from the, the hike because i'm i'm always go 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 but you're only as fast as your slowest teammate and in this case i was with my wife and my sister and we needed mm. to go at at the pace that they were willing to go at and yeah. so that was a good humbling moment for me to just like, yeah, take, take a step back, enjoy the the landscape, enjoy this experience, these memories. We don't have to get there as quickly as everybody else is. 
yeah and it ultimately was just like the trip of a lifetime for sure mm, we, we want to go back man yeah yeah definitely a lesson in being present oh. yeah no doubt that's no cool. doubt that's well awesome. jared i appreciate you coming on man where where can people find and support you online like yeah websites, so socials what's the best way to find you yeah so website cfoexpertise.com or the scale um or you could look up my name jared souza i'm on facebook instagram linkedin all the things um, I'm, I'm around yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't awesome, take long man. to find me yeah no and we'll, we'll put it in the show notes for for everyone listening to make it easy for them to cool. find you so yeah and if everybody has any questions or um I always offer this to people too. If you want me to look at and just give you my perspective, I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. Right. Cause at the end of the day, I'm, our goal is uh, to help as many e-commerce brands as we can. So yeah, that's what we're here to do and here who we're here to serve pretty soon. It'll be the agency space too, man. So yeah, I'm looking that. forward to it. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, just my, my testimonial after having Jared pop the hood and really seeing this dashboard and, and how he's able to serve his clients in real time, it it's a game changer. So if you have an e-com brand, this free consultation will probably be, it's, you know, it's, it's worth your time for sure. So yep. take advantage yep. of it and appreciate you dropping so much valuable yeah, information for us, man. Really. Yeah, do. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah. We'll have to have it again sometime. Yeah. That sounds good. To all of our adventurous listeners, thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Please be sure to subscribe, download, and share this on social media or with someone you know will get some value from it. Leaving a review goes a long way in helping people find the show. And I personally appreciate reading them when they come in. So please go drop one if you have the time. We'll see you all next week. And remember, whether we're talking about business or the things that bring us joy outside of work, life is meant for exploring. So go out there and live it one adventure at a time.